Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we discuss an off-forgotten installment in a franchise and see if you should check it out for yourself. I'm one of your hosts, Corey, and with me I've got Liam. Your obsession is my weapon. And Mitch. I hope you like roast beef. I I had a quote as well, but I didn't want to take anybody's and nobody took it. So I'm glad that I'm not stepping on toes. Uh, I've got um, another one from Barney, because I think all of them are from Barney. <laughs> um, if they can put it in a book, it's not romantic. That's a good one. A great impression too, Mitch. That sounded exactly like him. Thank yeah. You. So can you use that voice to talk about wanting to steal a doll, please? Hmm. I do admire his perseverance. I'm going to steal the doll. (laughs) (laughs) You sound like a Muppet they never finished making. (laughs) Like, like, this is like a Kermit the Frog in-law. You got something more interesting to do? Mel Gibson doesn't return my calls. (laughs) Could this be the whole episode, potentially? Um... It'd be a good reflection of the movie. It would be. There's a lot of those voices that, in it. That, that was the movie. Want a sodi pop? <laughs> um, I'm actually going to throw this over to Liam right away. Uh, because the? the William Castle film genero uh, stepped on your toes a little bit last week. You, you you made clear that this is a movie you you planned on wanting to have us talk about anyway. Um. And then we we broke your schedule by doing it a little bit early. So <laughs> what's up with this movie then? What's yeah, what yeah. is this? So you make you make it sound like I was like tentatively thinking about this, planned on wanting to do it, but no, like this was this was in my schedule. I'm gonna pick a movie today and that that it was gonna be a different movie and then Three weeks from now, I was going to pick this movie. And uh, I decided on that because I'll, I'll say right now, I'm going to try to uh, veer away Damn. from the straight horror genre for for a, a good chunk Gay of horror the season. Only. Um, and so I want to do uh, different things. So this is like a kind of a thriller, creepy movie, but it's not a straight horror movie. And it just it came into my mind because... Um, well, you spun the William Castle Genero, and this was low on the list, right? So that means I thought of it. It was in my mind as doing on the show like three years ago. And that's because uh, there's a podcast I, I've been listening to for a whole lot of years, a horror movie podcast. And on that podcast, um, they've never formally reviewed the, either The Vanishing or uh, the original, which is... Uh, called Spore Loose, trans can be translated to The Vanishing. They've never reviewed either of those movies, but one of the hosts has often brought up that the original Spore Loose has uh, a wild, scary ending. And that has just always stuck with me. I'm I'm someone who uh, I've just always loved, like stinger endings. Like I love stuff like tales from the crypt and and twilight zone where some sort of ending just punches you in the face and i love horror movies that kind of just have a go out on some sort of glum note and so i got the impression that that was what the original vanishing was um and i think i visited the wikipedia page a couple times just enough to see the poster which is like a sort of looks like a missing woman poster um and the the premise of the movie, very simply on, on Wikipedia for Spore Loose, it says it stars Gene Berveau as a man who searches obsessively for his girlfriend following her disappearance at a rest area. And 
it, as if hearing that the ending was was uh, scary wasn't enough. Like that premise is. I, I would watch any movie that has a premise like that. I am fascinated by disappearances. In fact, that's like my number one fear in the world. And to read about missing people scares me more than anything, really. Um, but I love doing it. Uh, so I've just always wanted to watch this movie. And I just... The original. And I just uh, never put it on in all these years and so when we started the podcast um i thought that the remake would be a great way to get me to watch it i knew that whenever we did the remake i would watch the original and so that's what i did now i've seen both of them um crossed it off my bucket list and then i'm excited to talk about them in some fashion nice and uh, like what did you think of the the original now that you've got it in I loved it. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's very interesting structurally, which I wasn't expecting. Like it's kind of like uh, Christopher Nolan's Memento. It's not told in reverse, but it's that sort of thing where like you can't anticipate when a scene is going to end and where it's going to put you in the timeline. It does a whole lot of jumping back and forth. Um, so the story didn't come across the way I was expecting it to, and. Uh, <clears throat> it has a whole lot of emphasis on the villain, but in a very clever sort of slice of lifey way. Like it's a, it's like a slice of demented life as you're hanging out with this killer dude and seeing what he gets up to on his off time or in his prep time. Um, so it's, it's really intriguing. It, it's unlike any um, kidnapping or like, evil person movie i've seen i compared it to a uh, henry portrait of a serial killer um, which we did the sequel mm. of a few months ago where it's just you kind of just spend time with this scary person but it's very it's very frank and uh very plain-faced and that sort of emphasizes the horror um and so I, I, I really liked the performances. I liked the language it was in. I thought that it was just a very captivating language. It's partially in Dutch and partially in French. Um, and I liked spending time there. And then the ending was, uh, it was indeed uh, a gut punch. And um, I, was, I was not disappointed with that ending. And I was also impressed by the rest of the movie. So I, I really, really liked the original. Nice tight and um mitch what do you have had you you had heard of uh sport oh, yes. loose yeah, yes i've seen like... the original at least twice i'm a big okay. fan i saw it probably about four years ago so it's been a while but it's just lingers in my mind uh the imagery of the finale and also the whole scene i think it's a really a uh, powerful movie about dealing with with loss and it's a movie about oh. about absence and, and and how people cope with that and uh like i the emotions that come out and and the the range of them are are so powerful and yet the film has this muted kind of understated approach to storytelling um it's a very understated sophisticated film um with some really uncomfortable performances that I think work really well, like Liam said, with the languages. You know, Liam, if you weren't going to pick this film in like three weeks, I probably would have picked it for my next choice. It's one yeah. I've been wanting to talk about on the podcast for ages. William uh, I'm an enormous Castle fan. is listening. 
<laughs> yeah. to our thoughts and hearts and minds. Yeah, that's like maybe the first time in history. But um, <laughs> well, surprises. It's it's a movie that I really like, and I've heard so much about uh, the remake from 1993 because it's people often hold it up as an example of like, oh, look how they watered down this American <laughs> sequel, you know. Look how, and they they look, look how they insulted boy. American audiences by changing some things. And I do think that that definitely happens here in, in some ways. We can unpack it more when you ask me what I, I think of this movie. But um, I really like the original movie. And the more I think about it, the more I like it. Like, I, I think I might have to go back and watch it soon because it's it's just such an unusual movie. And it's it's uh deeply captivating so i i intend to go back and see it soon um but that's my experience with it in terms of uh the director george slizer slizer that's what the la times says um they've never done anything wrong no no they haven't Uh, never once i haven't i'm not like super familiar with his filmography i've i've obviously i've seen at least two of them now um but uh, I've like read a lot about him because he kind of pops up on like the art circuit in the 80s and 90s. Um, he's been like consistently, he was consistently working, I should say. Um, unfortunately, he passed away in 2014. But uh, so he had a pretty decent body of work. But this one, I think, stands up as like maybe his most successful or as far as I know it is. Um, so... I'd like to see more because he's, he seems to be an interesting director. But uh, yeah, uh, it, I always like movies too where a director kind of revisits their old, old territory and crosses and recrosses their old tracks and their old ideas. It's like a, any kind of painter, right? When they return, when they sort of see their canvas again, they kind of want to come back and take a brush to it. And they think they can do it better usually and whether or not they actually do remains to be seen and so that's why i think that this particular movie is a really interesting study because not only did he revisit it but he revisited it with a different audience in mind from like a a european sort of perspective of what an american audience might want i'm sure the producers also had a strong in in a matter of five years right yeah very short time and you're given like well-known actors who you sort of have a bias um, which is good and bad. Um, and it's just sort of interesting juxtaposing those performances w- with like relatively unknown actors to me. Um, but yeah, that's that's my experience. I like handing it over to you guys when I don't know what's going on. This is very much in a variety of ways a funny games scenario for me. Very but much I, so. I, I in many even, ways. I knew even less about this. I had never heard of this. I had never heard of The Vanishing. I didn't know who slicer was i blank slate absolutely nothing doing um so you know just getting to this curious to see and i didn't even know that this had a reputation not until this afternoon did i realize that at one time this was described by at least one writer as the worst remake ever made uh which frankly given some of what we've done on the show seems somewhat hyperbolic I think they've got to broaden their remake horizons a little bit before saying that. Um, but yeah, I did not realize this was this was a contentious film in any way. Um, nor the the legacy of the the initial one. So one of those more heady 
uh franchise quote unquote offerings but um yeah as liam said the plot of this is the same as the original which is that we've got two people a couple they're driving around and uh yeah they go to like a like a highway rest stop and girlfriend gets abducted years past the man is like frantically looking for her throughout all of that time and then sort of you know things start to clarify themselves and there's some tension in a new relationship and we learn a little bit about the guy that we know to have done it and sort of like what his process was and what brought him to that uh before you know getting any kind of payoff but we see like what that build-up was we see more of it i feel like than what you get in a typical movie like this about this kind of thing where you have like a very fairly full sense of like as like the bad guy <laughs> like that feels fairly unusual even here but uh yeah that's the gist of it um if you're curious about who's playing the bad guy um I'm going to segue into the cast first because I've teed it up already, but it's... Do you like roast beef? Uh, that's Jeff Bridges' voice, if you couldn't tell. We got him on the pod. The dude reprised the role. Bio-digital jazz, man. Fuck yeah. Um, we know Jeff Bridges specifically from Tron Legacy. If you remember our coverage of that movie. Um, I sure as hell don't. We also know Kiefer Sutherland, who is Jeff the frantically searching boyfriend uh, from Flatliners, a remake that you could maybe argue to that writer might be worse than this one in his eyes. Um, Sandra Bullock is in this movie. Uh, we know her from Speed 2. So, you know, this is a bit of a TMAO big name actor reunion. Uh, and it's worth noting that the movie we liked the most out of those was Tron. And the other two we did not particularly like. Yes, hated them. And even Tron has not stuck with me, I must say. Yeah, Tron, definitely, I think I'm the one carrying that mostly into our good category. But uh, Speed 2's, like, fun, bad, but bad. And then Flatliners is just straight up bad. So... Uh, interesting to see how that goes. We've also got Nancy Travis uh, playing Rita. This movie does feature my favorite actor name of all time. Wow. I think. Uh, because Lynn, the the like smooth-talking waitress, is played by a woman named Park Overall. Wow. <laughs> Overall? Overall, yeah. The wow. way she speaks. Overall. You would think. Dude, what a good fucking name, right? It's <laughs> mm. awesome. Um, Maggie Linderman plays Denise, which is Jeff Bridges' daughter. And then Lisa Eichhorn plays Helene, who is uh, Jeff Bridges' wife. She's in The Talented Mr. Ripley. Uh, and That's about a wonderful time. movie. We could do that on the pod, honestly. Is it a remake? Uh, yeah, it's yeah. it's like a based off of like Patricia Highsmith's novels about Tom Ripley, and so there's been several film adaptations about that. Like uh, Purple Noon with Alain Delon from the '60s is another example of an adaptation of those sort of Tom Ripley books, and, and talented Mr. Ripley revisits those sort of episodes in a different way, but it's the same based off the same source material. Interesting. Uh, we've got George Hearn as Arthur Bernard. Frankly, I'm not. <laughs> certain who that is um, 
<laughs> but uh, he was in Sneakers and The Page Master. So I wanted to give a shout out to The Page Master. Um, I wish we could do that on the show. That would probably be a good episode. Remake it, Macaulay. Yeah, dude. What are you doing? You got time, right? I don't mean that in, like a, your career is nowhere way, but it's like, a good time for a movie. He does. He could, he could do the George Slicer thing where he's like, you know what? I'm going to try it again, but better. I'm changing I'm the, the ending. I'm going to play the kid in the remake of the Page Master. Um, and we've also got Lynn Hamilton as Miss Carmichael, who is their neighbor later in the movie. Uh, she was on things like Sanford and Son, The Waltons, and the Knight Rider TV show. As mentioned, directed by George Slicer. Uh, also did stuff like The Stone Raft, Dying to Go Home, and a movie called Crime Time, which I just think is a good name for a movie to have. Uh, the movie's written by uh, Todd Graff, who first and foremost on IMDb has acting credits, uh, two of which include Strange Days and The Abyss, which is odd to me. Um, he also wrote an adaptation of The Notebook that came out in 2021 also odd to me tim crab crab a because there was an accent in the e and i don't totally know how to say it uh wrote the book that this is based on so he has a writing credit as well um the movie is edited by bruce green who's done a variety of movies we could do on this show including home alone 3 princess diaries 2 doll just doll that time (laughs) (laughs) doll Um, Friday the 13th 5 and 6 um, oh, both great and also Young Guns 2 Blaze of Glory I don't even know what that is that's uh, a sequel to Young Guns I guess it must be uh, we've got cinematography by Peter Sichitsky I'm a fan uh, dude's resume is pretty gnarly pretty incredible um, resume yeah Dead Ringers Crash yeah. Existence yeah. Cosmopolis so Cronenberg guy for sure uh, Eastern Promises, Mars Attacks, and also The Empire Strikes Back. Dude yeah. gets around. Pretty incredible. This is a composer we've heard about 800,000 times. He, he's also on the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, Nope. Yeah. I guess not. I didn't. That's not one of the ones I wrote down because I'm trying to keep those lists a little bit shorter. Ah. <laughs> Historically, they've gotten a little bit out of hand. <laughs> yes. So I'm trying to tone it back. Um, Jerry Goldsmith, uh, we've heard his credits a lot. Uh, in large part because he was the composer for both U.S. Marshals and Looney Tunes back in action. He's also got 256 credits, and I won't be going over them again. <laughs> Holy shit, that's like every movie. <laughs> it's every movie ever made. Um, So, you know, we'll hear from Jerry again, almost certainly. So... You know, shout it to uh, Jer. Um, that's all the that's all the setup this really needs. So, without further ado, um, which is certainly a joke I've done before, but hmm, I kind of who should go first? Do you ever think of yourself when you consider these things, Corey? I don't think you if should, I should rule go yourself first. Out. Yeah, rarely. Um, do you think I should go first? Yeah, you go first. Mitch, are you in agreement? Yeah, why not? Shake it up. Sure. Uh, this movie's boring, man. <laughs> um, I spent this entire viewing bored. Um, 
which means I don't have a lot to add to that. Um, I think, uh, despite a premise that is jarring and some pretty gnarly stuff in it, including being buried alive, um, it feels pretty toothless because it doesn't feel like it wants to commit to like the logical conclusion of how horrifying that would be despite the fact that the bad guy is uh operating under the premise of seeing things through to their logical conclusion or forcing people to retrace steps of how xyz thing would have transpired but when you get to like the strangely happy ending and like the the intentional comeuppance and also just like I feel like it spends a lot of the the tee up of like what Barney's life is and was like and um what we see of like the relationship drama between Jeff and Rita it just it didn't click for me very much um it feels pretty stock um I think there are uh moments of good performances though I do want to uh single out Jeff Bridges in particular as feeling kind of corny here it feels like he's doing a very like um intentionally strange seeming person but in doing it that way it it makes it feel stereotypical and not strange in like an off-putting way um so like i was unimpressed (laughs) by this and i would be surprised if uh folks felt it lived up to the reputation the first has though you might so you tell me would you also be surprised if folks felt it lived up to the reputation that that one critic said of being the worst remake yeah i think that's too far it this is nowhere near bad enough to be unless you're quantifying worst remake as Depending on how good the original is, yeah, I guess you good. might be able to make an argument for like this is the worst possible follow up representation of something that was already good. And coming from the 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 same director, it's such a disappointment. It is. Is that your take? <laughs> yeah, I didn't I mean, ask. Who asked? <laughs> no, go ahead. Is that is that how you feel? Well, you're about still it? going, aren't you? Well, you got in there. I was curious. I wanted. To, I mean, like. I don't think this is in worst remake territory necessarily, but I can see why, depending on how great the original is, why somebody might describe it that way in like a piece of writing, just to make the point mm. that it's that it's a downgrade, um, and perhaps a pretty significant downgrade. Um, but uh, yeah, okay, Mitch, let's go to you then. Yeah, I suppose got, it's always important to keep your suspense and the listeners yeah. sort of wondering what you, this what you think. This movie is kind of, you know, but maybe I, you not know, also I, doing I amazing with that. Yeah, I don't feel like really keeping that under my hat any longer. Um, where to begin? I was reading Kermode's review for this. I bet um, he lit this thing up, dude. I love Mark Kermode. And he says, the original was about the banality of evil, but the remake became about the evil of banality. It was a mess. And I think that that really kind of sums up what went wrong um i think structurally this movie is not as good because the original preserves its mystery i often talk about that on this show but um the way that you're introduced with the killer first the original doesn't do that it just sort of starts with the couple in the tunnel and then finally you get to meet the killer so structurally it's kind of off 
and uh, it, it immediately puts your guard up. And I feel like this movie is all about it really just like kills the surprises and uh, it feels long. It feels rote. Uh, the performances are all um, really bizarre. It almost feels as though they're taking uh, like they're taking their directions from like a Dutch person very literally because everybody speaks in this weird uh, European style. It comes through. It, it almost feels like they're imitating their lines. I mean, if you watch a Lubitsch movie, everybody speaks strangely because he instructed the actors to do that and to sort of imitate his patterns of speech. And I, I can't help but wonder if that's at work here. Like, what on earth is going on with Jeff Bridges' accent? Um, I find that the performances here are are flat. And in the original, the performances are kind of isolated and cold and unnatural. But um, it works, especially in the case of The Killer. And I really wanted to like this movie because it had some things going. I was open to kind of an American reimagining of it. And I thought that, you know, the the destination of Mount St. Helen uh, was kind of cool and uh, fatalistic uh, for this to happen. But uh, the Dutch film has a lot of those things going as well. Um, it's a bit more of a poetic movie, a bit more subtle. It's got uh, stronger symbolism that it kind of evokes repeatedly uh the dreams of characters and um this movie has none of that uh yeah it's i can't recommend this movie to anyone because i think it's just a waste of your time i think if you're going to watch an american thriller watch a good american thriller but uh, compared to the original this movie is really nothing there are some good things that i like about it i like uh some of the violence i cannot stand the ending i think the ending is an atrocity i have no idea why that happened um, so really quick uh spoiler warning for the next i don't know four minutes whatever okay how does the first movie end because yeah, this can, ending sucks ass can you, can you guess Corey? um because you I, said that you didn't like this ending either no, like it's so too I'm happy. just, and you were, you were, you, you, yeah, you. It was said it was too happy, and you were actually kind of saying, um, without saying it, that you would like the original ending, I think, and what that goes for. So I'm wondering if you can just tell at all from knowing that the two endings are different. Are you able to at all piece together maybe how that original ends? If I had to guess based on what's here, I can only think of two things. Because people, if the ending is iconic, I think it can only be two things. Mm -hmm. The first is, and this, I don't know if it's this one. The first is they succeed in like getting, getting back at him, like, you know, shovel to the mouth, all of that. Um, but because it's been far too late for any kind of actual way to, to help diane and it was all kind of for nothing and it was just sort of to get like a a probably petty feeling vengeance i would imagine that maybe i could picture an ending that's like they're just like stuck in the woods now like bloody and muddy and tired and just like okay well what what did we get for years of effort and torment um and the answer is nothing and then it just ends um or, or it ends with the dude buried and then like the other 
woman gets there and like doesn't even figure it out and then like that's just it as well i feel like there's no way the movie doesn't end with either depression or the bad guy succeeding if people think the ending is good the ending is 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 you're, you're kind of there with your second conclusion you're way off the mark with your first i mean it it does end with oh, the character's name is rex in the original rex. but it, it ends with him just sort of drinking the coffee and then he wakes up uh buried alive in a coffin and uh and then it just sort of cuts from that to um the killer just sort of sitting peacefully in his home reading the newspaper around his family and it's a deeply cynical ending um is it a shorter movie then uh i'm pretty sure it is it feels shorter to me because it's just a it's a better movie in all ways uh yeah it is shorter um not dramatically so 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 he so like I'm going to use the names that I know just to make this faster. But like, so, so Jeff gets put in a box underground mm-hmm. and then it cuts to like the guy, not even in the cabin, just like in his own house, just like vibing. Yeah. He's got like this really great sort of like eighties naturalistic Netherlands sort of place. That's, that's like on a beautiful plot of like rolling uh, grassy, feels like that's sort of like you know the the dutch countryside and that's just it there is and, like uh, he's just yeah like, cool, he's just I surrounded by his family and and uh again the banality of of evil he's so he's just sitting there and the, the the film really doesn't give you anything in the same way that the killer deprives their characters of of really truly knowing what happens i guess he does find out what happens in a roundabout way but it it, it also deprives the audience so it's a kind of it's a bold ending especially for the time and uh i guess they thought that american audiences wouldn't be able to stomach it so they uh diluted it a bit in my opinion so so um i'll ask liam this because he's watched it more recently but with the first one does the does the bad guy also like really specifically talk about like well i had to see if i was evil like yes he does um i found that all the way across the board it comes across way less on the nose in the original movie and i don't know if that's just a language thing because i can't remember a whole lot of the exact quotes in the original because i'm reading them um and so they felt a lot more naturalistic and i'm not rolling my eyes at at some of the barney characters lines the way i did in this movie because Mitch really nailed it when he was talking about what he liked about the original. Um, I related to it where Mitch was saying that it's about grief and loss and and not knowing what's happened. You're one of one of your loved ones and just wanting answers. Um, and the movie, it really is about that, which I which I wasn't expecting. And Mitch said that the more he thinks about that original, the more he likes it. And it's totally the same for me. You know, I enjoyed the ride. I liked the ending. Um but immediately when it ended, I was kind of like, oh, that's it with the original. Um, I thought it was a dark ending, but I'm so used to like, you know, I've seen some really dark stuff mm-hmm. in movies like, you know, bloody torture and stuff like that. And the movie didn't end that way. And so I was like, I guess I thought this would be more fucked up. But then 
over the next hour as I was just like pointing around the house and thinking about the movie and what they were talking about, like the um, the Jeff character's desperation to know what happened um, and the interplay between the two of them of the Barney character saying that there's only one way for you to know. Um, and yes, he also says earlier that like he, uh, he wanted to do the worst thing he could imagine to to know if he's truly evil himself all that is still in the movie but it feels much more subtle it feels very real i think to how people are especially in the jeff case like that feels like a real dude who's just um driven to some some desperate places but they they made in the original they made all the choices feel very natural and i could understand in that original one why he slammed that poisoned coffee back um just so he could get some answers and i understand stood why the barney character was uh doing what he was doing and talking about like seeing things through to their end and um so that is in the the original thematically but i felt in this movie it came across a lot stronger and more like a cliff notes version of it and and mitch is right that uh, the the original one is only like two minutes shorter and it doesn't have that whole climax so maybe that also contributes to it they can spend a bit more time uh with um just barney and jeff talking but it does spend a lot of time with barney and jeff but it also doesn't feel like it's that much because it's interesting the exposition is interesting i think jeff bridges is horribly miscast in this movie i'm like who would I cast instead from in 1990s stars? I think I would probably go for someone who's physically more like the original uh, character because I think the physicality of him is is very interesting. He's, uh, I mean, in this movie they it it breaks into fights at several points, and in the Dutch movie it's not. It's much more grounded. It's like a game of cat and mouse and chess, and he stays ahead with his intellect and his cunning, and I think just his his the depth of his evil um but yeah jeff bridges is, is just goofy I, and i think part of that comes with the bias that i associate him as a comic actor and i don't think that he's re- like i think he seems really goofy in this and so all of that sort of talking about good and evil and like you will drink the coffee it is the only logical conclusion uh you know all of that um it's just a bunch of crap yeah, I mean, even not having an awareness of the first movie, like some of this just doesn't really track very well. Like, I don't think this movie's making an interesting, like, intellectual argument. The, I think the most interesting thing is just seeing, like, the degree to which Kiefer Sutherland's character is so dedicated in the face of, like, clearly insurmountable odds that there's like there's something admirable about that and seeing like where he goes but i don't even think that's necessarily being executed in like the best possible way just because um it it, the relationship drama doesn't really click like it's like it's her or me and it's like I, I understand that that's the argument you would have, but like I don't feel I, at no point do I feel like there is a genuine chance that he would just stop looking, right? 
So it's like, why are we even having this conversation? <laughs> like, this is what's happening. Um, so it makes all of that feel kind of pointless. Um, and then it, it feels a bit silly for her to suddenly just be like, oh, now I get it. Now that it's happened to me, now I get it. You know, I'm going to go find him now and like mm-hmm. care oh. suddenly. I, I can't stand how stupid the bit in the ending is where she like brings her box and then she opens it and it's like, ah, oh, there's no gun. I mean, like, I feel like that was like a, a trademark of so many 90s thrillers. Same with your characters' names being anagrams. Um, yeah, anagrams feel like um, quicksand. Yeah, and that like we talked about them a lot in the past, and then you'd think in your life you would come across them all the time, and it never comes up in your actual life at all. Yeah, it's I like don't, I don't deal with anagrams, maybe ever. <laughs> like, well, I mean, you're not like solving mysteries. No, I'm not like fucking murder. She wrote or... against like a <laughs> Jeff Bridges with guile. Um, it seriously feels like the intellectual equivalent of like '90s instructional videos about how to get out of quicksand. Yeah, it's uh, um, it's like, what did I like about this movie? I have one thing I liked. Okay. Um, I I think Sandra Bullock is was the right casting choice for the right thing, and she's there just long enough. I don't think she's that great here. I think it's fine. I think it's fine. I think it's service. I think it's a serviceable performance. But yeah, I think, and I also just think it's nice seeing her do something small because I'm not used to that. Yeah, and I also just think like she's just like you know the 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 fun like cute parts. I I like it. Thanks, Sandra. Um, but yeah, I mean, like the rest of the performances are just kind of like, eh, okay to me. They're just like, they're not like they border from Jeff Bridges, who I also think isn't great here to like um, Nancy Travis, who I think is fine. Um, Sandra Bullock's on the sharp end of the performance situation, I think. Uh, that I can say is good for sure. <laughs> um, what else, though? Who could say? Um that might make it sound like the movie is like completely unwatchable. I don't think it's unwatchable, but that doesn't mean that I have inspiring feelings about it and like things I want to wax poetically about. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, I have, I have a lot I want to say about it and um, I do think that it is unwatchable. I oh wow. wow! I think that this. I'm with that one critic. Worst remake of all time. I despised this movie. Despised it. Um, what I liked about it, I'll tell you quick. I like the shot where Rita um shuts the door after after Barney is like um creeping up on her when she's yeah. um. She shuts the door to leave, and he's hiding behind the door. I wasn't expecting him to be behind that door. I thought he just left, so I thought that was kind of shocking. I liked Sandra Bullock's performance, particularly in the coffee dispenser scene where she's talking to Barney. Um, 
and kind of just being nice to him and he's being tragic. creepy. But yeah. yeah, it is very tragic how, how sweet she's being and she just like has such a nice smile. Um, and I've gone on record, I think in the Speed 2 episode saying I'm, I'm not a Sandra Bullock fan. A lot of times whenever she shows up in a movie, I just don't buy her. Um, I don't like particularly the movies of hers that I've seen. So like, I don't, I don't like her choices. Um, and I just, I'm, I'm not captivated by her. So I was worried seeing her in this movie. And I think early on, she doesn't have much to do. Like she has less to do than, um, her equivalent in the original movie. I, I, I think there's just a bit, they're given a bit less time. And so I, I don't have as much, um, she doesn't have as much time to like become this real person that I am missing and, and can, can empathize with um, Jeff as much as I could in the first movie. But I did think um, in that, in that coffee dispenser scene, that was when I got that feeling. Um, so it ended up showing up anyway. So I, I did end up liking her in this movie. And I also like the effect when, jeff shovels barney to death and he gets the shovel in the mouth and you see it pretty quickly like that that like i wanted to see more of that though i was like after after all this like hands off talking about it like show me hit him over the head with the shovel again give me something yeah it it was it was quite shocking um that is not the in the original and this movie established itself as not really being that type of movie i mean it's certainly more of a action thriller in that third act but like that was some horror movie gore um i'm surprised they showed it and i i Mm -hmm. liked the effect those are the three things i liked about this movie other than that um i think even putting aside that this is a total bastardization, in my opinion, of what the original movie was saying, like I think you're not only eliminating the the visceral punch of the ending, I think changing the ending of this movie as radically as, as it does, changing the ending of the story, I think that it fundamentally changes what the movie is about. Um, but I think that the rest of the movie is not in line with now what the end of the movie is saying it's about. So I just think it becomes um, just Hollywood action thriller nonsense where you have a bad guy and in the third act, your main characters band together and take down the bad guy. And the point of the movie is only to put you on that ride for that hour and a half. I don't think this has the staying power that the original has at all. And the original has staying power because it is about something. I don't think this is really about anything. I mean, like I said, it kind of tries to be because it puts out some of the thematic ideas um, with uh, some exposition, but I think it ends up falling on its face and it says that it's about um what people do in in grief and it says that it is about what pure evil is um or at least what someone who thinks they're pure evil does and i don't think it's about any of that and so that's disappointing and Mm -hmm. then if i do my best to separate how I feel about the original, this movie that I really liked. Um, I just think that formally this movie got under my skin so much. I think every performance here besides 
some few exceptions. Like I said, I ended up being charmed by Sandra Bullock a bit. And I was initially charmed by the actress who plays Rita. Um, I thought she had actually much more chemistry with Kiefer Sutherland than Sandra Bullock initially did. Um, I think the performances, or at least the writing and the direction that these character, these actors are given... I think they are all insufferable. The Jeff Bridges performance is has to be like top ten, top five of for me like least favorite performances. Do you like I roast beef. It it is it is on the home sweet home alone level of like oh, I want fuck. to steal the doll. Where just everything <laughs> he said, I I hated it. And Corey, you kind of nailed it. Where like it feels stereotypical and doesn't actually. Um, hit the place of feeling mm-hmm. like a real person. Um, and I don't even have comedic baggage with Jeff Bridges. I haven't seen a whole lot of his work and the work I have seen of his has been in dramas. So um, I, when he showed up and I, and I knew he was in this movie, I thought, Oh, they got a, a big dramatic actor to do this role. And then right from the very beginning, from how he walks, how he talks, the lines he's given, the layers that are peeled back in this movie of like how we're introduced to his character, where we get this sort of 12 minute prologue of him practicing um, uh, how to drug women. Um, I think that is, it is just all so misplaced. Um, Structurally. Yeah. Structurally totally misplaced. And I think that this whole movie is just a snowball effect of like, Everything that I think could go wrong went wrong and it all just adds up structurally performance, the writing, um, the themes that are just hammering you over the head. I think that this is like a really terrible movie. And I think having seen the original certainly makes me think it's more terrible. I'm glad I saw the original because I feel like it it opens my eyes to how bad this movie is actually is if i just saw it by itself there's no way i would have liked this um but i wouldn't understand quite why i don't like it um it made me think of in the first grade i wrote um a short story the the class was you know you're gonna write a story today kids and i wrote this illustrated story about um my pets that I had at the time and they could walk around and they could talk and they went on some adventure where like they went through various obstacles and they got a key and they took it back to a castle and they achieved their goal. And it was a very sprawling story with pictures. And I love telling stories as a kid. So I think it was, it was pretty good. It was very imaginative. And then the teacher, she says, this is a great story. Um, and now we're going to do this, this, uh, the second part of the lesson is we're all going to write a final draft of our story, a second draft. And so they were teaching us how to do something, think about it and make it better. So she said, write a second draft of your story. This is the final one that you're going to read to the whole class. And this was the first time I had ever heard of doing a second draft. And so when she said, do a second draft, I thought that the purpose was just to do the thing again like as quickly as possible. (laughs) I thought the original still exists. She complimented me on this original. Now she's telling me to do it again. So I'll just um, do it really quickly. I'll take out all these adventures. I'll take out um, the main thing that is making the pets want to get the key. So the structure of the story will still be there where it's my pets, 
they get a key and they bring it somewhere, but it didn't have any of the connective tissue. It was much shorter, much more truncated. And I read mm. the story to the class and I remember very specifically the teacher said, Liam, what happened to the original the original thing you did was so good. It had all this stuff in it. What happened to it? And I what was baffled. All the mustard? I was baffled. I thought, well, we still have that or- you original You told me one. to get rid of it for but this. I thought, I thought that we were supposed to redo it and uh, make it you know, easier to understand or whatever I thought. Um, and that taught me a great lesson was that whenever you show your work to a new audience, they're not going to know what it was like originally. They're only going to be able to take it as it is. And so um, this movie is redoing it for an American audience. And on the surface, it is still telling the story of the original. The ending is a big difference. Sure. Superficially. Um, but it's, it's still telling the story of the original, but it is not, um, it is not doing the things that made the original so impactful. The original was is not a great movie just because mm. it is about this evil dude who wants to test himself and um, steals this woman. It is it is about so much more than that in its construction, and uh, I think that this movie just totally. Um, either misunderstands what the original did and i don't think that's the case because it's the same director yeah like how can the original director have not gotten it yeah. i think I, it's gotta be something else do you mind if I, I build on yeah, a few things that you said go there? ahead yeah because i've rambled um, go ahead yeah so like you were talking about a, a few different things like and uh you're talking about how it's remade for an american audience and so much of this movie feels bizarrely targeted uh, with like its trappings, almost like I said earlier, like a Dutchman sort of thinking of what Americans might want. And uh, I think nothing is more pronounced than that than, than the plot with the publisher and how it neatly comes back into yeah, the what ending. What the fuck where it, is that? <laughs> where it's like, ah, uh, yes, uh, Americans, capitalists, they love profit. Like, well, he'll he'll profit off the trauma. Finally, you can um, just profit off and you'll be a better person again so stupid it misses the point entirely of what the movie is about about grief and loss and dealing with all those things and the duality of, of a obsession upset the obsession that comes with loss and the obsession that comes with like the the deranged people who want to cause it upon others quick question yeah. before you just because it's on just specifically this yeah does this work if George Slizer were to say, I did that on purpose as a commentary now, not specifically on the experience of the movie, but that American audiences and American filmmaking are trained to want the wrong thing. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think it works though. I don't that either, way. but I'm just like, if there was any intentionality to that at all, does because that even matter? The movie, for a lot of it, feels like it's it's trying to do the same thing and trying to explore those themes, and then just to insert that in there seems co completely incongruous. Like if you were trying to have a bit more of a satirical bite, if the movie does do that, like walk that line uh, with that kind of um, like world weariness, then uh, I could get behind it. But tonally, the rest of the movie is in a lot of ways trying to like uh retrod the old ground and uh so it's just completely jarring to have that ending when you consider it 
in relation to everything else. And I think it colors the protagonist in a completely different light. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's a cynical ending, but I don't think it, it is trying to be cynical. I think it's like trying to be like warm hearted. I like, and there's, there's a lot of things that just like feel wrong about the choices in the ending. Like, 3.8 seconds after uh jeff bridges gets his mouth split open with a shovel like the happy sort of like 90s music strings come in and then he's like then you're all of a sudden you're at you know the brown derby with the producer and he's like i don't mean to be gauche but i'm a i'm a publicist it um, feels focus tested but that doesn't really make any sense what do you because, mean by that like it feels like there was a version of this that was still the american movie that didn't have that and then audiences wanted it. But I don't think that Maybe. could possibly be the case here. Yeah. I know that it is, that that's um, in some ways the case. On the IMDb trivia for this one, it says that uh, George Slizer wrote an opinion piece for a Dutch magazine in 99. I tried to track down the piece. I couldn't find it. But here it says that he signed a contractual agreement with uh, the producer to keep the original ending. And then the producer left Disney during the production of the movie. So that canceled the contract. And so I guess that meant that the ending could change. And then also it says negative audience previews during editing led to more changes because viewers had trouble understanding the flashback structure. So I don't know if if uh, focus groups changed the ending in particular. It certainly changed other things about the movie and um it's very likely that it was the production company that might have even anticipated focus groups not liking the ending and was just mm. like, you got to change it. I just don't get how this could be so confusing that that feels necessary. That's like, that's what's baffling to me about focus testing is like, how does that even happen? It doesn't seem complicated. It's got th thoughts, sure, but like, it doesn't seem complicated. Yeah, and it doesn't really have any confidence in those thoughts. Like it doesn't stick to, it doesn't stick to its guns. It's it's like you earlier on you said this movie has no teeth. So you said it's you called it toothless. Yeah, um, and I think that's a really good way to put it. It I this movie doesn't take any risks. Very characteristic of Hollywood movies uh, from that period, or a lot of them anyway. Yeah, like it wants to have a really challenging theme. And it wants to address it, but it doesn't want to do that in a way that packs like a really powerful punch. Mm -hmm. And I get the impression the, the other movie very much does. So, yeah. And all the way through um, this movie, it, it very much feels like I don't know if they don't have faith in the audience. Um, it could be that. And it also could be that they um, underestimated the importance of some of the things that they did in the original, or um, even if it's they want to distance it from the original, they underestimated the importance that uh, a bit of extra flourishes can give to your movie. Like an example would be um, 
first, the 12-minute prologue that starts with Jeff Bridges' character, and you just see him um, practicing lines to use on women to get him in his car, or timing how long he'll be passed out for if he puts like chloroform to his mouth. In the original, that stuff is staggered throughout the movie. Um, and so while the first movie also does this this interesting thing where you're uh it puts suspicion on this character wearing this cast you see him putting on this fake cast early in the movie and so it the first movie isn't a whodunit uh you kind of know that this is the dude you're going to be suspicious of and then before you know it you get a whole lot of scenes with him and so you know he's the guy um but it still gets you connected to the couple first um it doesn't put all its cards on the table right away and another thing that this movie does that I noticed, uh, just little things that um, if they hadn't omitted them would add to the, the tension is um, at the beginning when Jeff leaves Diane in the tunnel, he walks to go get gas, he leaves her in this dark tunnel, and then he gets into his car, he finds she's not there anymore. This movie is called The Vanishing. And so in the original movie, I was thinking, oh, shit, this is where she's been vanished from. I forgot that the premise says it's at a rest area. So I thought she's fucking gone. He gets into this car. And in the original, he drives out of the tunnel. And as he's driving out of this dark tunnel, you Mm. see this sort of silhouetted figure at the end of the tunnel. And for a moment, you can't tell if it's a person. You can't tell if it's like some sort of creature. And then he gets closer. You can tell it's a person, but you don't know what person it is. Is it the bad guy? Is it Diane? And finally, he emerges. And yeah, it's Diane. She just walked to the end of the tunnel. And in this movie, he gets into the car. And then it immediately just cuts to a close-up of Diane sitting at the end of the tunnel at some rocks. And he pulls up to her. And that's it. He drives to the tunnel. And she's there. And so it doesn't have the pacing either in the big um, formatting ideas. So, okay, they decided to do away with that because maybe they thought it would be too confusing for audiences. But then even the little things that just build up suspense and play with the audience um, are just totally absent as well. Which is very strange to me because I don't see why you couldn't do that for an American audience and still have your big Hollywood ending at the end. And so the movie just disappointed me time and time again. Now, uh, Liam, there's a couple of other things that, that, I mean, you saw the original recently. So I want to ask you some questions because I haven't seen it in a few years. And is there the angle where he pretends to join the reserves and he's wearing a uniform? I don't think so, right? No, I know. It's I don't really think, bizarre no. that they made that his alibi that he yeah, just casually joins the a stolen valor alibi. I don't mean to like not address anything that you just said, but um, real fucking weird. Yeah, like that's bizarre. The fight sequences are just out of place. Uh, yeah, they they also rush through this idea of um, Barney sending Jeff notes about. Uh, you come and meet me here and you'll figure out um, yeah we see like one envelope it, it, ha- it happens once in the original homie does that to him over and over and this has just become a routine that's slowly eating away at Jeff because he knows that the person is out there but he also knows he's being played with in this movie it just happens the one time 
And then before you know it, Barney is revealing himself to Jeff and it just it really doesn't make any sense. This is truly like a Cliff Notes version of this story um, where they just they they did the big beats and they totally skip over um, anything that could make the the story more substantial. I'll give you another example at the end end of the conversation where Barney has convinced Jeff he said um, I will tell you I'll tell you and I'll show you what happened to Diane but you've got to drink this this tea that you've just seen me put poison in it's going to drug you for you about got, you 40 gotta minutes you got to drink this this Mike's hard lemonade <laughs> yeah and um, in the original movie uh, the way that um the Jeff character reacts to this is um, after a whole lot of conversation in the dark, he runs, he sprints around this tree where at the beginning of the movie, him and his partner had buried these two coins that signify their love and their relationship um, near the rest area. They buried these coins and he runs around this tree um, after finding, and he spots these coins uh and he remembers their connection. And also, as he's running around this tree, I get the impression that um, it's calling back to this idea of fate, which is also woven throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, and it's talked about in that flashback story where Barney says he was standing on this balcony thinking about jumping. He was waiting for something to stop him and nothing stopped him. So he jumped. And so while I see Jeff running around this tree, to me, I see him running and I'm thinking he's running because he's waiting for something to force him to leave, to not drink the tea, to have something come over him where he doesn't have to do what he is afraid to do, which is drink this poison tea. And he runs around the tree and then he sprints back to the car and he just downs it. So he didn't get the answer he needed in letting out all that aggression. He saw the coins and he thought, I have to do this. Um, and in this movie, that running doesn't happen. More so, the coin thing doesn't happen. That's not set up and it's not paid off. And instead, we get what I now think of in my head as the 2002 carry cut, which is when um, you repeatedly <laughs> do cut from uh, close, close up to a closer close up and you see an action repeated a few times. It's like every time there's a cut, you go back half a second temporally. And so you see him like three times bring the cup of tea to his mouth and drink it and like that is supposed to make it have an emotional weight is this cheesy idea of a close-up happening and you see him drink the tea three times it's like one of them is just totally uh total like junk food it means nothing and the other one the construction of the scene actually uh means something in relation to the character and the themes that the movie is establishing. And this movie just misses it again and again. Pisses me off. <laughs> I can hear it in your voice, like genuinely. And um, yeah, I will say it's been interesting hearing you guys talk about the, the degree to which the, the seeing Jeff Bridges early doing the prologue, like doesn't work. Because that was like one of the few things I thought was kind of interesting to see. Not necessarily that it's like the most captivating way to establish him, but like rarely would a movie do that. So I was like, oh, that's neat. Like seeing the process of like 
building up to doing something and like test driving it and like who wouldn't it work on um and like what might be pushing him to do that i thought was like mildly interesting but based on your descriptions surely it seems better executed without doing that (laughs) yeah because it is an interesting idea um no matter which way you cut it but i think um the amount of time we spend with him right at the beginning combined with the fact that i personally just can't stand his performance the way he's talking it's all sort of mustache twirly um he feels like a james bond villain or something and so it just totally combines to make me not scared of the schlub at all and it also doesn't feel to me like a regular guy that in turn is scary like it could it could either be he's like evil to the core and that's scary or he's sort of a normal guy and that's scary and um and i I think they want it to be the latter because they set it up like oh well i knew i could do a good thing can i do a bad thing and it's like well that's kind of stupid but okay (laughs) he seems overtly evil despite the framing being that he's not that he was curious to see if he could be but that they're implying that that means that he isn't um but he pretty transparently is like yeah and i think i think the idea there is really cool i think it's uh it humanizes this guy it doesn't make you sympathize with him it just makes you um understand that like there are people like this where um you know that like they started off as babies and they are just people like everyone else but all their actions that they're doing and all the things that they're um, putting forth in the world seems like evil. Like, how are you supposed to reckon with that? And perhaps those, you know, those evil people, um, if you want to call them evil, they, they have, they have thoughts and they might question themselves. Um, And so I like that we get uh, the Barney character doing that. I think this idea of a kid, um, uh, testing himself and then an adult who has a wife and a kid he still has these feelings somewhere in his brain where did they come from and and uh, what are they going to do to him and so he feels like he needs to test them I think that that is is a really cool idea and I think it's explored much better in the original I think that um, this movie with its like total hollywood writing um is is just a caricature of that idea whereas in the original it feels actually um like a a human character who is evil whereas in this movie again it's just it's more of a james bond villain and i thought that spending so much time with him early on really just uh declawed him and took took away the intrigue and um just left me feeling really deflated so a thumbs down categorically (laughs) do we do we feel compelled to dunk on this further or i mean i put it in its coffin i could i could (laughs) i could i mean i don't like the movie enough but i mean at the same time nah nah I think this movie is kind of a waste of your time if you go to see it. And I think that like we spend enough of our time on this movie. I don't really need to. I'm pretty happy with what I did. It's just a shame. I'm disappointed that it, that it is what it is. An American imagining of this movie could be good, but I think 
it just has fewer things going for it. I think the fact that it is European and, and like the way that it's shot, um, it has like the sort of European eighties like indie vibe that's like great. The uh, sweaters are great. Yeah. The sweaters and wardrobes are great in this movie. Should have actually given a shout out to Kiefer Sutherland's initial sweater earlier in our discussion. The yellow one? Yeah, it's fire. Yeah, it goes crazy. The yellow half neck is fire. Uh, with the cable knit, absolutely. Yeah, ice cold, frosty. Yeah. But, oh, uh, I couldn't tell what the temperature was supposed to be that day, though, because he's dressed for autumn. I don't Sandra know. Bullock is dressed for summer. It's the Pacific Northwest. I've never been. Yeah. It's like I don't know what peaks. that means. I haven't seen, I've only it's, seen it's Mount, one Twin Peaks. It's Mount St. Helen in, in Washington. I think it's State. in Washington. Yeah. 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 So yeah, Pacific Northwest. Pacific Northwest? I just met... I uh, <laughs> that joke is the equivalent of this movie. It has the same value. A rehash. Um, Bad one at that. So... Liam, you wanted to get to this movie sooner or later anyway. And yeah. it was it was a thundering catastrophe of a viewing. Um I'm which glad I saw it, but yes, it was. I'm glad we did it just so we can talk about the original, because I love the original. Yeah, and I and I I'm glad that I know what this movie did. Like I really feel like it it did like teach me about art and fucking up your own art and it taught me the value of like it makes me like gus van sant's psycho even more than i do because i'm like if this had just been a shot for shot remake at least at least you wouldn't have had all these issues maybe i still would have hated the performance but thematically at least it would be sound um but this just totally um just just drops the ball it just uh it doesn't it feels like it doesn't understand its own story um so this is this is like totally on par with something like um to me home sweet home alone um this is the opposite of 2007's funny games where like at least those movies are both telling the same thing you know they they both have there's the same lines and the same beats because you did it once and now you're just showing it to an audience but the story should be the same and if you're gonna change the story you should know why you're doing it and i don't think this movie knows why it's doing it um very baffling but i'm glad i saw both of them yes i will say it's good uh, as a quick note that um you got steered away from what your career path would have been uh, as a first grade, which is Hollywood executive. Seems like you had that down. Oh, yeah. I, I just knew, <laughs> hey. Just uh, downsizing everything, simplifying it, because uh, we've seen that that doesn't always work. Yeah, No, um, the, the lesson I had, it horrified me. It actually it made me into an artist because I was like, oh, my teacher doesn't like this new version. I guess I got to I guess I got to not do this anymore. Uh, but what it does make me wonder is what you have in your bag of tricks for us next, because this is what we got this time. And I know this isn't this was William Castle's fault, but it was on your radar. So it, you're batter up. So it makes me wonder, wh what do you got next? So what I have for you guys um, is a summertime film. I've, I've been wanting to visit this franchise for years. Every summer I want to do it, and uh, it just hasn't happened yet. Um, but now that fate is in my hands, uh, that we're not doing the William Castle thing anymore, 
I'm going to pick a movie that, you know, we might not be ecstatic about either going into it or, or when we watch it. I'm not sure. Um, That's sorry, ominous. I, I was just waiting to see if fate told me not to do this, but nope, nothing's telling <laughs> yeah, me not to. Fate did not so intervene. I'm, I'm going to go for it. Um, but I, I think it's sort of a... At the very least, it'll be a vanishing 93 sort of thing where I think it'll make for a good discussion, whatever we end up talking about. And I just want to get it on record and I want to get it on record in summer. And this is going to be, um, I think, my last pick during summertime. Um, I guess summer yeah. technically ends, what, like kind of halfway through September. So yeah. maybe well, I'll get one more. But uh, September doesn't feel like summer. Kids are going back to school in a few weeks so i gotta get this in when it's still kids time summer so my movie is gonna be a kids time summer movie oh, it's man. gonna be the sandlot 2 <laughs> okay. you like that i'm googling it right now do you know what the sandlot is yeah it's baseball yeah yeah uh, i've never seen the sandlot actually um, cool but uh, uh a sequel like that makes me nervous and yeah, the I, reason it makes me nervous is like it seems like something where and i'm learning that i'm i think i'm correct this is definitely a <laughs> sequel that video. got made direct video quite a bit later yep um and that's always cause for concern i feel like we've had that go both ways in the past but it's, it's always it always makes you a little sweaty at first. You it's know? true. It's we've done a lot of direct to video sequels, a lot of sequels that came much later. And at this point, we're we're building up a catalog of uh, sequels that are done by the same director writer of the first movie. And the Sandlot Two is in that category, despite being over ten years later. It is the director and writer of the first movie. So, um, bro, there's a Sandlot we'll see how that Three. Goes. Yeah, and I thought about doing that one too. I With really Luke did. Harry? Yeah. What? So what maybe <laughs> maybe we'll finish out the franchise. But I thought Sandlot Two direct to video, just for the reasons you were saying, Corey. I mean, obviously Sandlot Three didn't play in theaters either. But um, Sandlot Two is very similar structurally to the first Sandlot, and so I think it's the safest place to go first. Sandlot Three is more of like a you've got to have seen the other Sandlot movies. Like it's the, it's the Bill and Ted face yeah. the music. Yeah. I will say I'm excited. I feel like uh, baseball is a deceptively cinematic sport. I think it's and yeah if, the most if this, cinematic. If, if this gives us an excuse to talk about like baseball movies, despite the fact that I've, I've not seen a, a big one here in the Sandlot, or if at least if I ever saw it, I, I certainly don't remember having seen it, but uh who doesn't love baseball movies? Do you have any Sandlot cred, Mitch? Uh, I mean, I watched it once. I don't like fetishize Sandlot. So many people are like, oh, Sandlot, Sandlot. Was that Werner Herzog talking about Sandlot? The, the child, the kinders in the Sandlot. <laughs> that's such yeah. a bad Herzog impression. It's, I knew who it was, though. Oh, I knew good. who it was. Yeah. It's just because I only the German word for children. Do not avert your eyes yes. uh, from reality television and the Sandlot too, says Werner Herzog. Um, all right, nice. Well, it's on Disney Plus. You'll be able to find that one. So there you go. Um, 
before we go, Mitch, do you have anything you'd want to plug at all? No. Nah. What is this? What is this? This is twice ants. What is this? I don't like him saying no. You like ground beef? I don't, Liam. I don't like it. Yeah, it kind of feels like he he wants um he wants to have his cake and eat it too. Yeah, him saying something before getting up and doing the bit is the American remake of the original bit. I want to steal a doll. It's taking away the 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 jarring immediate effect of him getting up and like destroying his room and watering it down with an acknowledgement that no he will not be plugging anything and I simply won't stand for that. Well, but the first time he did it, he said no and uh we were thinking that maybe he's not going to do the bit and then he did it making it more jarring. So isn't it uh isn't it kind of like if the American <laughs> remake like made it seem like it wasn't going to have the same ending as the first one and then it did? Like they put a publisher in a box at the end of this. Like that that would have been cool. In fact, while while this movie was unfolding in the third act and Rita shows up and, and Corey, Rita, the Rita character, she's not as big of a character in the original. Like she does figured, not yeah. she does she's not in that third act at all. Like he he they basically just break up because he can't get over it and that's it. Um but yeah, so when Rita shows up and uh and it really seems like, oh, it's gonna have a Hollywood happy ending, I was thinking the only thing that's gonna save this is if she ends up getting okie doked as well and she gets buried and it's just two people in <laughs> coffins. It didn't happen. That would have been good. But you know, I, I don't know. I still feel strongly that like I think I think it's most effective just like walking off. Man, we'll, we'll have to see. I, where I fucking it goes. left, and you guys are still going. Yeah, you're look at what. Like, what is this? Unbelievable, Liam. Do you have anything you want to plug? Nah, motherfucker. Just but when you Corey, do it, no, it's no, at no. least like that's a thing. That would be a big deal, right? You know. I guess I get you. You can do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got a film writing alter ego, Graham, the haunted marshmallow. Uh, I talk about movies on Twitter. Not really, but I, I, I log every movie I watch on Letterboxd <laughs> and give it a rating so you can uh, follow along there. My username is Graham the Mallo. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mr. Corey Price. You can listen to the two other podcasts I do. Uh, Strat 2 is an F1 podcast uh, with my friend Callum that hasn't been updated in a while, but we're recording soon. So it'll show up. And then we have MK PodQuest with our friend Neil, uh, which is about all kinds of like weird, loose end Mortal Kombat stuff. Though this week we are briefly a Street Fighter podcast. So if you go to MK PodQuest, we're going to be talking about the short lived and uh, publicly executed uh, Street Fighter Malibu comics run that was ended when Capcom pulled the license. Um, that's MK PodQuest. Thank you again for listening to this episode of They Made Another One. You can find us as a group all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, which is all one word and a letterbox at TMAO. You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher Breaker, and everything else as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at TMAOPodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and what you think the worst remake of all time is. Our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson. You can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches. And with all that out of the way, we're going to hit some dingers next week. Hope you like roast beef. And they made another one.
Hope you like roast beef.